Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in, in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, to which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, or according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to the purpose which he has set forth in Christ as a plan for the fulfillment of time, to unite tonight all, all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have attained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ may be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of his salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is guaranteed is the guarantee of our inheritance upon, until we require, acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for allowing us to be here today, Lord. We just thank you for the opportunity that, that we could pray to you, that we could sing your praises. Now we just uh, pray for our pastor and pastors all over this world, dear Lord, that they may preach your word without error, dear Lord. We just thank you for all of them, dear Lord. May you comfort them. May you strengthen them through the week, dear Lord. And all these things we pray in your son's name. Amen. You may be seated. We, um, at, right after church, we need about four or five men to um, take Jared and lock him in my office. Um, Grant would love to have another guitar, and he's a big boy, so we need some help. Um, no, but thank you, Jared, for coming and serving us, using your abilities for the glory of God. Uh, and um, it's a good opportunity for Grant and Stacy to be able to have a week off, a week of refreshment, uh, be able to go see his parents and uh, return to us. So, and I know uh, when people fill in for me for preaching, what a blessing that is. And so uh, thank you, Jared, for your faithfulness this morning. A couple things I've told the Sunday school class. I wanted to give you guys a heads up. I'm taking a quick time out. Uh, from our study in, in Colossians, um, and what we're going to do is there just some conversations, some thoughts, and prayer requests. Um, at the doctrine of adoption is actually what we're going to study the next three weeks, um, going through Ephesians and Galatians and Romans. Uh, three weeks studying the doctrine of election, and then we will resume our regularly scheduled programs in Colossians. I made that decision uh, later in the week after Jane had printed the bulletins with all the other stuff in it. So if you thought we were reading from strange places, we were. And uh, so that's why nothing matched reading where you may have turned in your bulletin. With that being said, uh, if you're not already there, if you would turn to Ephesians chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses 3 through 6 and really the bigger picture of the book of Ephesians. About six years ago this weekend... Uh, Labor Day, Denise and I and Crosby, who was about four to five days old, were sitting in an attic, a quaint little finished attic in Canton, Ohio, in a tiny little bungalow, 
and we were marveling at the goodness of our God. Um, prior to that, we had gone through heartbreak, disappointment, a year, uh, the longest probably year of our life, waiting and praying for a baby to be placed with our family, and we got a, a phone call, and a baby was put into our arms. Um, born Patrick James, he probably doesn't even know that, um, but um, he is affectionately known to you as Crosby James. Um, just continuing the legacy of adoption in my family, me being adopted myself, and continuing that in our family, uh, and I know many of you love adoption, but all of you who are in Christ, who have been united to him, as it says in Colossians, in Christ, united by faith, are also adopted. Some of us are adopted twice, some of us just once. Uh, the adoption, the metaphor of adoption, is what Paul uses to explain the relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father. I remember at the time of the adoption reading through the book Knowing God, and one of the quotes that I, right off the bat, J.I. Packer wrote Knowing God, it's in our library, it's well worth the time and the read, uh, but he says this about the doctrine of adoption. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. So what I want to do over the next three weeks is flush out our understanding of what adoption is and how in Christ we have been adopted. Um, sonship as a whole is something that runs all throughout Scripture. That God, who is maker and creator and there is none like him, has chosen to make a people for himself and call them sons and daughters. But this is not a something that naturally happens, like a, uh, parents give birth to a child. This is something that biblical adoption is the act of God which he bestows on certain individuals. We hear some songs that say everybody are the everyone is the children of God. Biblically, that's not correct. There is an essence where, because God created us, we are his creation, and we are, in essence, his children. But we understand biblically that it is only those who have received the grace of God are those that can call themselves children of God. It is not universal that all people are the children of God, but it is specific. Those who are in Christ, those who are united to the promises of God by faith. This idea of sonship began in what, all throughout the Old Testament. Specifically, one of them is Hosea. The grace of God came to the people of Israel. When Israel was a child, I, God, loved him. 
Out of Egypt I called my son. I led them with cords of kindness and with bonds of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke of their burdens, and I bent down to them and fed them. This understanding of God as father to a specific people, and in the Old Testament it was faithful Israel that God became the, the, the father. And continuing in the New Testament, this understanding of adoption and sonship is a new dimension is opened up. And we see in John chapter 1, but to all who did receive him, and that's another word for faith, trusted in him, believed in him, who believed in his name, what happened? He gave them to write to become what? Children of God. They weren't children and now they are adopted into the family of God, born not of blood or the will of the flesh, but born of the will, nor born of the will of man, but the will of God. John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. So as we look at these three primary texts in Ephesians and Galatians and Romans, I want you to understand today out of Ephesians chapter 1 is this. We are adopted into God's family to bring Him glory and to make us holy. We are adopted into the God's family to bring Him glory and to make us holy. Three ways that I will do this, and the way I'm going to do it is have three points, two emphasis of each of that, and the implications of what it means to of those points and how that goes off. But the first point is the father of adoption. The father of adoption. My second point is the means of adoption. The means of adoption. And then finally, the third one is the household of adoption. The household. The father, the means, and the household of adoption. And you'll notice that'll be a similar structure through all of these sermons. But in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, if you notice with me in the verse 3, blessed Words of praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, verse 4, even as He chose us in Him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. The heart of the Father who so loved the world that He sent His Son in love. He predestined us for what? For adoption to Himself as sons, and you can also faithfully say as daughters, through Christ according to the purpose of His will. What, what was the result to the praise of His glorious grace which He blessed us in the Beloved? Paul is teaching of our relationship with the Father by um, embracing an understanding of adoption in the Roman world, the pater familia, the pater familia. And that was really the, the foundation of the Roman world was the family. The uh, religious and political and economic drivers of the empire were driven by the family, and it was the father, the pater, who was head of the household, who held all power and all glory and the identity of that family. And the, he was only the, the father was the owner of all of property within the family. He was the judge of all the family relations. He had the power to determine 
if, uh, if the members of the family would be, keep living. That's how powerful he was. Dionysus, of, uh, one of the old writers of Heracarnius, probably didn't say that right, I'm quite confident I didn't, wrote this. The pater, uh, family, the father of the paters had the right to expose his child, to scourge him, to sell him, to pawn him, to imprison him, and an extremist, even to kill the members of his household. Now, some of you have a look on your face, holy cow, that's severe. But this is the metaphor and the understanding that was common to this day and age, to the original readers, and this is what Paul was embracing to be able to explain that relationship. Let me give you an example of a pater familia, the, the head of the house, the father, would be Don Corleone. And for those of you who are not, shouldn't be watching those types of movies, The Godfather, but Don Corleone what? He was in charge of life and death over his son, make him an offer I, they can't refuse. Kind of, he was in charge of the family, of the businesses, of the money. He was in charge. And that was an example of the pater familias, the father, the head of the household. And what would happen often is if the father did not have heirs that he could trust, what would he do? He would adopt those heirs into the family to be able to make them his son and be able to continue and safeguard the legacy of that family. Many, many of the Caesars, actually their sons followed because the Caesars would adopt a son and make him the head of the household and take over for him. But Paul uses this understanding to explain the relationship of the household of God. He redeems this understanding to be able to communicate to his readers what Jesus is doing. And I want you to notice, especially in verse 3, this father of, the, of adoption, blessed be the God and Father that we understand as God the Father who is over all things. And if you were to read through the book of Ephesians, it's a constant reminder. It says God the Father, God the Father. It's this emphasis on God the Father and what He has done. Even taking back and pulling the curtains back before the foundation of the earth to show what the Father is doing and working. The Father chose, the Father adopted, the Father redeemed. It is the Father who forgives, the Father who gives grace, the Father who reveals His will. Adoption into the family of God is the work of the God the Father working in divine uh, election, if you will. God choosing. And how does He do this? He has this degree of Whole, decree of holiness. Notice verse 4. Even as he chose us, Paul is writing specifically to the Christians in Ephesians, not just the Christians in Ephesians, but all the people in the household of God, the family of God, all believers who have trusted in Christ. Though he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. This is understood as the doctrine of election where God has chosen out of His created beings those who will be a part of His family. 
before the foundations of this world that will be particularly associated with him. And the marks of that election is that those are those who have put their faith in God and have trusted in Christ, we know that God has moved and worked in their hearts. And a sovereign God does this work, it says in verse 4, when? A time before the foundations of the earth. This is the original plan of God, that he would create this world and he would have a people for himself, knowing that rebel, creation would rebel against him and reject him and choose themselves and be lost in their sin and the darkness and death. God would come and choose a people for himself and give them eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that love, and they would choose him in response to what God has done. God is free to choose. This is not a plan B. God, before the foundations of the world, chose a people for himself. We come and think, well, does God do that? That we understand Israel. We know often Israel, God's what? Chosen people. For you are a people, God writes through Moses in Deuteronomy, you are a people holy to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, God chose Israel to work for him to be his people and to magnify his name and bring, ultimately to bring his good news and his truth to all the world. But the question is, why did God do this? At the latter half of verse 4, what does it say? God chose us in him before the foundations of the earth that what? We should be holy and blameless before him. God did this in despite of our sin. As Romans said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Like our father Adam, the first Adam chose to go against God and fell into sin, we have gladly and joyfully followed the pattern of Adam and we have chosen because we are natural men and women and we do not choose the things of God to go against God. And God does not hold that against us, but our grace and mercy, he chooses a people for himself that they would be holy. They would be prepared to come into the presence of God, pure and clean. God chooses us in doing this work to take a people for himself, his family, his children, that they would be holy before him. And this is a purposeful relationship. There's a decree of holiness that my people will be holy, but it's a purposeful relationship. They are predestined for what? For adoption, for relationship, to be called the children of God. God did this ahead of time, and this is something that is exclusively, this word is used of God. It is not bound by circumstances. It is not bound by merit and, and, and what people deserve and what people work. But it is God working before the foundations of the earth that he would have a family for himself that would glorify him and that would be holy. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, continues, he said, Viewed from God's perspective, then, the believer's adoption as sons is not an afterthought. 
Still less, it is a filial disposition, a family disposition that came, that, um, it is, uh, that came about not by chance or mere accident. On the contrary, the motive and the impulse for this new family of adopted sons and daughters finds its spring and origin in the eternal loving purposes of God the Father, who always had in his mind and to enter into a relationship with us. Our heavenly pater familia has created a family and a people for himself. What are the implications of God working to make a people for himself? Why does that matter? Why does Paul put such an emphasis on that? He does that for this one reason, is that our place in the family of God is not conditional. You don't have to be a really good kid to stay in the family. You don't have to worry about if I'm good enough or I behave and I don't get too many spankings and have to sit in time out and I behave at school and I don't embarrass my, my parents in public that I'll be able to stay in the family. When God says that God chose us before the foundation of the earth, it means it is not something in us and what we do and how good we are that get to stay in the family. It's that God has fixed our place in eternity because of what he has done. If your faith is in Christ and you trust him, you can know that you are a part of the family of God and it's times when your faith is, is a, an ember that is barely burning, and when you're, there are times when your faith is glowing strong, you can know that it's your Father in heaven who holds you fast. When I think my strength will fail, the hymn writer song, the song we sing, He will hold me fast. There will be seasons of strength when you are high in the mountaintops and you are singing his praises, and there are times when you're barely shuffling along where your Father holds you and protects you. We, some of us, I am blessed with parents and adoptive parents who I've never questioned their love for me. Sometimes there are those who question the love of their parents and struggle. If I was just a little bit better, they would love me more. If I just did a little bit better here or there or, or was, had a better job or a better spouse or I could prove to them that I'm worthy of their love, that is not the case with God. His nature is unchanging and our position in Him is secure. Crosby is a partika, not because of what he did, but because before he was even born, before he was conscious of his own existence, he was a partika because Denise and I put our love on him. We chose to love him before he even knew us, before he was even born. And we stood before Judge Schoonover in the state of Florida, and we promised, we made a covenant that said we will love him as a natural-born child. His place in our family is not based on what he does or how, how quiet he sits in church, because if that was the case, we would have, he would have gone back to the state. His position in our family is because Denise and I have put our love on him. Brothers and sisters, if you trust Christ, you are a part of the family of God and it's not based on how strong your love is or how good much you behave or how good you are. It's because of God, and you can rest in that promise 
that God loves us. The second implication is this. Our life is lived in praise to the Father's mercy and love. Blessed be the God. There's a song of praise. Verse 6, to the praise of His glorious grace. Verse 14, to the praise of His glory. When we see the depth of our sin and where we have come from, the only response of a child of God is a profound sense of gratitude and of mercy and grace because God loved me, even me. And that should cause our heart to overwhelm with joy that we are adopted into God's family to bring him much glory and praise and honor. And we can, the reason we sing is because we have much to sing about for our Father who has loved us and who is making us holy. The second point is our means to adoption. How does the Father though he declares our holiness and declares our place in the family, how does he bring us into the, the family? How does, what is the means of adoption? The Father has declared that the end is adoption and that we will be reconciled to us, but how does he do, do this? We have to be reconciled and something has to happen because we have a problem and that we have a rotten family tree. Russell Moore, in his book, Adopted for Life, I would encourage you to get it. If you're considering adoption, if you have adopted, if you are adopted in Christ, read that book. It is a fantastic work. But he says this in it. He says, imagine for a moment that you are adopting a child. And as you meet with a social worker in the last stage of the process, you were told that this 12-year-old has been in and out of psychotherapy since he was three. He persists in burning things and attempting repeatedly to skin caps alive. He acts out inappropriately, the social worker says, although he doesn't really fill in what that means. The social continues with a little family history. The boy's father and grandfather and great-grandfather and great-great-grandfather all had histories of violence and raging from spousal abuse to serial murder. Each one of them ended his life the same way at his own hand. Each found dead in their prison cell. The social worker, if you were adopting a, a, a child and the social worker said that, would you still want to adopt this child? If you did adopt him, would you keep your eye on him as he played with your other children? Would you watch nervously as he noticed the butcher knife in the kitchen? Would you leave the room as he watched movies with your other children with the lights off? Brothers and sisters, when we understand what Scripture says about the heart of man and our rotten stump of a family tree, we realize that the child that is described by the social worker is us. This child is you, and this child is me. Notice Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in trespasses in sin, Verse 3, we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is our lineage. This is our family tree. This is our rotten stump of a family tree. Paul in Galatians uh, a little bit earlier, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife. Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, 
divisions, envy, drunkenness, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Without Christ, without our adoption into the family of God, we are in an utter miserable state. Our family tree is rotten by immorality. Our inheritance is bankrupt. Our future is hopeless. We are destitute. We are described in Scripture as enemies, as strangers, as orphans, as aliens, as slaves. Our family tree is rotten. But look at verse 5 of chapter 1. This is the good news. In Love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. The Father has declared our adoption and the Son has accomplished our adoption. Jesus is the means. Jesus on the cross is the means that brings us into relationship with him. The Father declare it and the Son accomplishes. It's not by what I do, my lineage, my ability, my talent, my potential. It's, <coughs> it's what Christ has done. God the Father has declared it and Christ the Son has accomplished it. We have been adopted through Christ. We don't earn our adoption. Christ lavished his unearned grace upon us. We don't complete our adoption. Christ declared it. It is finished as we taught the children. We don't prove our worth of adoption. Christ's resurrection affirms our adoption. Our adoption, the means, is secured by 100% in, out, east, west, top, bottom because of the cross. When Jesus declared, it is finished, he pruned us from a family tree of death and he grafted us into the family tree of God himself. The end of adoption is reconciliation. The means is through Christ. And notice that he has redeemed us from our past. Verse 7, in him we have redemption, how? Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Later on, it says in chapter 2, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Your ransom has been paid to be redeemed from your slavery of sin. In the ceremony in the, in the first century when Paul wrote, the, when a pater familia was adopting a person, they symbolically would find the, the birth parents and the birth parents would sell their child into slavery three times. And it was the pater familias that would redeem that child out of slavery three times. And upon the third time, that child would become the son of the pater familia and no longer connected to the original birth parents. In the Bible, it says this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Son of Man came to what? To seek and to save that which is lost. In a moment, Jared will sing and lead us in song, Jesus Paid It All by Alvina Hall. Lord, now indeed I find thy power in thine alone can change a leper's spots 
and melt the heart of stone. And when before the throne I stand in him complete, Jesus died my soul to save. My lips will still repeat, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. That rotten stump of a tree, our former life, um, has been eradicated, has been washed clean through the adoption that we have that has been redeemed through the blood of Christ. We have a new life, a new relationship. We have a new heritage. We have a new name. The implications of this is that we do not need to earn or justify our adoption. When I was adopted, I was adopted at 13 months old. And I had just come out of um, foster care where the parents were going to be adopting me, but however, their marriage fell apart. And as you know, those 13 months is important, and there becomes a bond that goes between parents and child. And that bond was broken, and I went to my parents now, Jim and Lucy Partika, and they adopted me. I was only 18 pounds at 13 months. And clearly this, it was a time of great confusion and unsettling, and my body began to show it. But my mom said that when she adopted me, she couldn't feed me enough, and that I would eat anything that she presented to her to me, and I would cling to my father. Probably subconsciously, down, deep down inside, I was trying to prove to them that I would do whatever I possibly could to to stay in their family because I had been ripped out of another family. But brothers and sisters, we don't need to do anything to justify our adoption, to complete. Our adoption isn't 98% done and we have to wiggle our way to 100%. Jesus paid it what? Mostly. No. Jesus paid it all. We have been adopted by the decree of the Father, by the means of the Son, by His death, and we are now a part of the family of God. The price is paid in full. We no longer belong to our old identity, to our birth parents, but we belong in heart, body, and soul to our adopted Father. There is never a fear that your adoption will be challenged. There's no loopholes. There's no information that has yet to be revealed that will nullify your adoption in Christ. Jesus knows it all, and Jesus paid it all. We have the promise of a new heart, a new nature, a new family tree, a new destiny. Jesus paid it all when he declared it is finished. We are adopted into God's family to bring him glory and to make us holy. The Father declared our adoption. The Son is the means that accomplished our adoption. And we see, where are we going? What is the purpose? What is the end? And the end is reconciling, to bring, reconcile us between God and man. If you belong to Jesus and you have been united by faith and trust in the gospel and not what you can do, then you are part of the family of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 and 16. Notice verse 12 of that section. Remember that you at one time were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise. What? Having no hope and without God in this world. That was your identity. And 14 says there was a dividing wall of hostility that you were kept from God. But notice in verse 19. 
So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, your old identity, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and what? Members of what? The household of your pater familia. You guys are going to be really good at Latin by the time we're done. You have been united to your heavenly Father, and you are a part of the household of God. You have a new position with that. You're not simply declared innocence. You're declared a child of God. Often we think in terms of what God has done in the courtroom where we're declared not guilty. And what happens when somebody is accused and they're declared not guilty by a judge? What do they do? They go home to the house they came from and they try to pick up their life and carry on. But if instead of going to the criminal courtroom, you go down the corner and take a right and you go find the adoption courtroom. In the adoption courtroom, you go into that courtroom with a different name, Patrick James. And when that judge throws down the gavel and declares it is complete, you walk out of there with a new name, Crosby James, a new identity. He thinks he's in trouble. A new identity, a new family. And what's happening is now you're a child of the judge, and that judge is working to make you, that bring you into the family and make you look like your heavenly father. And over time, though you are not biologically related, you begin to have that family resemblance. You talk alike, you think alike, you walk alike. Why? Because you are um, grafted into that family. People say, I look just like my dad, and I always chuckle and make them feel bad. I'm like, well, I'm adopted. And they, I, I used to be more of a smart, smart aleck when I was a high schooler, but uh, I'm a little more gentle now. But what happens is after time, when parents invest in their children, you begin to act like them and talk like them and think like them. And the idiosyncrasies of a parent begin to rub off on the child. My mother-in-law used to always laugh because she could see uh, Andrew just like me. And people say Crosby acts like me at times as well. Poor kid. But we have been, now have a new position. We have reconciled and we have a reason for great joy as we say, behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called children of God and so we are. And we're called to walk worthy of that new relationship that we have with God our Father. Notice in Ephesians chapter 4 as he continues, it says, First three, he's been laying down the groundwork, the theological groundwork, and now in verse 4, he calls them to action. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk. How? Live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. It is now our duty and our joy to be like our Father. Live like our Father and have that family resemblance as a part of the household of God in our business uh, transactions, how we control our temper, how we speak the truth in what we speak about. We, steal, we do not steal, but we work. We, our speech and what we, our topics of speech, that our mouth radiates encouragement, not grumbling and complaining. No bitterness and wrath and anger and slander be on our tongue. How we use our bodies 
that we are not full of wine, but we're full of the Spirit, that we're kind to one another, that we're tenderhearted, that we're forgiving. Why? Because we're becoming like our Heavenly Father, and that family resemblance is becoming part of us and who we are. And we're not only children. We're part of a household. We're part of a family with one Heavenly Father. And we love our brothers and sisters because we have one Heavenly Father. And he speaks specifically, he says, love your wives' husbands self-sacrificially. Wives, submit and encourage your husband in their leadership. Children, obey your parents. Uh, Servants and slaves, obey your masters. Uh, Masters, treat your slaves and servants with kindness and respect. We are all a part of a household of God, and how we live it reflects the love of the Father that has been given unto us. The implications of living in a household of God are these, that we have a glorious love that we have been. This relationship of love. Oh my. That's not supposed to do that. Okay. Be, um, Romans 5.8 But God showed his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We have been received this unconditional love of God that he has brought us and brought us into his home. We have 1 John 4, 9, In this love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only Son into the world that we might live for him. The cost of bringing us into his family was the death of Jesus Christ. Great love has been lavished on us. Over the year before we adopted Crosby, there were many, many, many tears. And there were heartbreaks of failed adoption. There was a lot of time. There was a lot of money. And there were mounds of doubt. But we were willing to do all of that. Why? So that we could call Crosby Partika and call us his son. And as he's slowly learning the significance of what has happened to him, we slowly learn the significance of the cost that brought us into the family of God and that should cause our hearts to overflow. God could have left us in our sin and poured his wrath upon us, but he chose us, he redeemed us, he forgave us, and he called us his children. And he is making us holy. This is not just a one-time thing, but is a long process throughout our life. The Father working through the Holy Spirit is teaching us what it means to be a part of the family of God. Paul David Tripp wrote this this week that I found. We forget that God's primary goal is not changing our situations or our relationships so we can be happy, but changing us through our situations and relationships that we may be holy, like our Father in heaven. We forget that God's primary goal is not changing and making us happy, but to make us holy. Anna and Andrew and Crosby are my children. And often when things happen, Denise and I will say, that's not how a partika acts. That's not what we do. And our Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, works in us and convicts us and stirs us and says that's not how Jesus acts. That's not how somebody who follows Jesus acts. 
but he loves us and he gives us his people in the household that we can become like Jesus through encouragement, through love, that we may be holy. The doctrine of election, we see the father who declares our adoption, the son who is our means of adoption, and we ultimately see the household of adoption that we are brought into. In closing, Packer says, if you want to know how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much that makes of the thought of being God's children and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and the whole outfit, outlet on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption.